Good morning. I'm John. If I haven't got to meet you yet, I would love to after the service. I'm our associate pastor here. Pastor Joe took an opportunity um, when I was scheduled to preach to get to hang out and serve with his daughters over in our preschool wing. And uh, he loves getting to do that and loves getting to hang out and work with his kids and teach them service. So uh, do just uh, greet him if you, if you see him afterwards. And if you haven't got to meet him, I know he would love uh, if you can hang a few minutes to get to say hello to you. Uh, I want to make sure I highlight something very important today. One, I want to celebrate something. Um, today marks uh, the first day of our new curriculum. And that sounds like a very boring thing, except for like the associate pastor I get. But as a church, we walked from Genesis to Revelation in three years. We walked through the entire scripture. And obviously we didn't hit, read every verse and hit everything in teaching. But we went through the whole Bible. That's a great accomplishment. And I hope you'll, you'll treasure that in your heart. Um, for our kids, this is round two. Six years, we went Genesis to Revelation twice now. And this morning... We started in Genesis again. It was exciting. So our adults are doing some different curriculums to take a break from that. Um, as, as obviously, we don't need quite as much repetition as the kiddos, at least in our own heads. Um, but um, we're doing something different. And so I want to highlight something. And this is uh, applicable to our students as well. And I know our student leaders asked me to mention parents. These books are coming home with your kids, um, with your students. And they would really like them to use those books um, so every day there is a, that's one of them, you can see that. It's a very short, read a couple of scripture passages um, and read a thought and then it's got a guide for prayer. It's short, it's quick, but one of the things we want to do as a church is have every single person in our congregation reading scripture every day because we know that's what God uses to transform our hearts. Um, the ancient theologians talked about spiritus verde, the spirit and the word that God's Holy Spirit moves and works and speaks to us through his holy word. And so we want to be consuming and intaking God's word. So if you're not reading the Bible daily, start tomorrow morning. You've got a book and you've got a guide. If you didn't get to pick one of those up, you can grab one. Um, our college students and college age folks, they've got one they're doing. Most of our middle adults have the one I just showed you, and that coordinates with your teenagers. So you can kind of read the same thing. You can actually tell if they read it, you know, because you know what it's about kind of thing. Yeah, I'm sure none of you have that experience. But um, And then our uh, senior adult class in here, yours is a little different, but it's that same format that you have the option of doing if you're not reading God's Word. So we're going to continue on with our study in 1 Samuel. Um, we have been walking through this book and, and like this is the week. I, I, I've been blessed just kind of how things worked out. I got to preach like the two hinge points of the book of First Samuel and really the book of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. It hinges on the time Israel gets a king. And if you remember, that hasn't gone well. The king is Saul and he is, he is an evil heart. I hope you noticed in our readings and our songs this morning, we've been talking about our hearts. And Saul has an evil heart that is bent against God. It is all for himself. And he is leading the nation astray. And God is going to be placing in a man after his choosing, a man who God calls someone after his own heart. 
And so we're going to read this passage uh, today in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. You will really be helped if you have a Bible in front of you today as we're going to kind of just walk through that. If you don't have one, feel free to grab one of those black ones there in the chair backs in front of you. And uh, I know Brother Jeff and the guys always put a page number up there and I forgot to look as usual and it's hiding. Page 238. I'm sorry about that. I forgot to look this morning. Page 238, but we're going to walk through these texts and talk about God's plan and God's providence. Two sections, really simple. There's your outline if you're taking notes. God's plan, God's providence. And yes, I alliterated. I literally screamed in my office when I saw this was alliterated because Joe loves it and I always heckle him for it. And lo and behold, I've done it. But we're going to walk through God's plan first. And we're just going to walk through the scriptures And then I have two or three quick observations about them. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. And Samuel, if you're not familiar with this story and you haven't been able to track with us so far, is God's last judge. So he was the leader of the nation. He wasn't a king, so he kind of came in and out as needed as as a judge. And he didn't just hold court. He was also the general, the leader, the prophet. And he was the priest. He was the religious leader for these people. And so God's going to come in and talk to Samuel um, and guide him to one of the most beautiful passages we see in the Old Testament. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 1. We'll stop in a few moments and, and just have a little commentary and then continue on. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. That's how they anointed. They didn't crown, they anointed back then. And I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? So. Again, tracking back to last week, uh, if you happen to be here, and if not, I'm gonna, I want to fill you in because this is really important. So Samuel has literally just hacked up a foreign king. So this king was, was an evil, violent king who hated God and hated his people. And he killed him, but he didn't just you know, kind of kill him. He hacked him to pieces. And so the elders of the city are hearing this and thinking, oh no, we're next. That's, that's the image they have in Samuel, is this, this very strong, violent defender of God's people. The people were scared, but it, it is kind of even drawn into more focus because Samuel came to Bethlehem. All right? Samuel is the big guy. He's the important. He's the number two guy in the country, and he came to the podunk of podunks. You know, we think of Bethlehem with all this nostalgia and oh, little town of... I'll, I'll spare you the rest. And they didn't have a little town of Bethlehem back then. There was no, it came upon a midnight clear. Bethlehem is where you wanted to get out of. It was farm country and not like the cool, pretty farm country. It was the feedlot. This, this is where they fed the lambs to go to Jerusalem. 
So not pretty rolling hills of sheep. When we think of shepherds, no, this is feedlot. So think driving through Kansas and you get the smell. And Samuel comes there. And so they're thinking, oh, no. Who's done what? And please tell me it's not me. That, that's the only thought that goes through them. They're, they're afraid of the sequel of God's judgment. But verse 5, Samuel kind of calms them down. Verse 5, he says, and he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves, it means make yourselves holy, prepare yourself, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So in this verse, the people of Bethlehem go from terrified about getting hacked to ecstasy of a giant party. So the second most important person in all of Israel has invited them to a barbecue. Um, and not just a barbecue, a sacrifice of a cow was a really big deal. Because back then, you didn't eat your cows, you milked them. You used them for work to, to haul uh, or to pull a plow. It, it was special. Most people think there was maybe one or two occasions a year where you might get to eat beef. I wouldn't live. I, I mean, this was a big deal. And the sacrifice involved worshiping God and, and the fat and the entrails they would take and they would burn. So there was this big worship service, a celebratory worship service of what God had done, but also repentance of their sins. And then all the meat became a big party. They would grill this stuff up on the altar and they would celebrate the forgiveness that God has given to them. They would also celebrate the provision of food for all of Israel from God. But the weird part of this party is that Samuel singles out Jesse. So again, we kind of know the story. Bethlehem becomes a big deal, right? They don't. So big important guy comes to town and picks random dude and says, you're the honored guest. You might remember his family a little bit. Again, we're on the right side of this where we can look back. But his grandma was a poor immigrant named Ruth. She married the guy that was way older than her because she was in need and she wouldn't sell herself out from some sugar daddy who thought he wanted her for the eye candy that she apparently was. She married the man with greater integrity. She married the man with generosity. She married the man with the biggest heart, even though he was much older and apparently not the sharpest looking fellow in the bunch. But you also might remember this family because that's not the first weird story about him. A few generations back, a prostitute duped a bunch of local guards to save some spies from Israel because somehow she knew that their God was the true God instead of the false idol she was worshiping. She married into this family and she ended up as the family matriarch. So here's the scene. You've got a depressed priest who's coming to sacrifice because the king is nuts and he goes to the middle of nowhere, has a big worship celebration, and then the prostitute immigrant family is the honored guest. And everybody's sitting there, all right, what's going on? <laughs> where's the joke? All right, where's the hidden cameras? You know, even though they didn't have them back then. It, it's, it's like that, there's this tension. What's going to happen? In verse 6, look back at your Bibles with me. 
It says, when they came, he, this is Samuel, looked to Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointing is before him. He sees the, the old kid that's good looking, strong. Like, aha, now I get why we went to Podunkville. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks to the heart. I don't need to add anything to it. Let me just read it again. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord looks on the outward appearance. Excuse me, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. If you will remember back, and I keep hearkening back, because this, again, this is a continued story, but Samuel had previously anointed the tallest man in Israel, the strongest man in Israel, the most handsome man in Israel as king. And it was a miserable fit. It's like a punk rocker at the Taylor Swift concert. It just, it didn't work. And God rejects this man because of his evil, evil heart. He was self-focused, self-promoting, self-exalting. He made the people miserable and he rejected God. So, I, you know, I love, I love watching um, the, old, the, cars, the car shows on like Discovery Channel and History Channel and all that. You know, they take in this car and it, like the plot of every one of these is the same thing. They take in this car and it looks good and they're going to fix it up. They're just going to do a little bit and it's not going to cost a lot of money. And then they like start tearing in this car and it like falls apart. It's full of rust. Everything under the paint is just, you know, junk. It's got holes in the floor and they like find the rat's nest in the glove compartment. And then they have to spend 10 times as much money and effort and all that. And they fix the car and it's pretty. But, but that's the Saul scene. Like, he looked so good. But was miserable for himself and everybody else. And Samuel almost makes the same mistake. The good looking sharp kid walks up. And he says, that's the one. And God says, No. You don't get it, Sam. You're missing the point. We, we've been through that. This is round two, remember? Don't look at his appearance. I'm going to look at the heart. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab, who apparently he hated because of how he named him, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Samuel made Shammah. Apparently Jesse's depressed, names his kids. Jesse named Shammah passed by, and he says, Neither is this one the Lord chosen. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Praise God, Samuel started listening. And then Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all your sons? And he said, There remains the youngest. But behold, he's, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So you got seven hungry kids looking at beef, you know, big steaks on the table. And Sam said, we're not eating yet. We're waiting for the scrawny one. Verse 
This is how God works. He chooses the least likely. Literally, they couldn't afford a sheepdog to take care of the animals in the feedlot. And God says, I want him. I want the one that a dog could handle his job. I want the guy that the dad didn't even think to bring. Because, I mean, he's the scrawny one. But God has much better eyesight than Jesse. God has much better eyesight than Samuel. And God, praise the Lord, has much better eyesight than all of us. He saw something in the nobody out in the field, picking out the top 40 of Israel, 1100 B.C., and watching sheep grow wool. He saw something more. Verse 12, And he sent and he brought him, and he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said to him, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now, we see handsome and, and ruddy, and, all, and you know, we think a good thing. If you're choosing a warrior king, you don't pick the cute one. Right? I, I, I mean, think about this. The, the, the kings led the army. You want the dude. And God picks the cute kid. God knew David's heart. Because God does not see like we see. He sees what's really there. God's got a plan. That's the message for today. God's got a plan, and His plan is bigger and more important and much wiser than ours. So I want you to think a little bit from this text with me about what is God's plan. The first thing, God's plan is all about God's man. You see, He had selected David. He knew David was what the country needed. He knew David was who He wanted to use. See, God's plan was all about God's man. It's not that God needed David. He, he was the nobody. He literally smelt bad. <laughs> Think about this. God says, that's the one. I'm going to use him. He's done it all through history. Whether it was his great-great-great-great-grandma, Rahab the prostitute, or his great-great-grandma, Ruth the poor immigrant, whether it was his kids who came after him, the nobodies are who God uses. Because God wants to show himself beautiful and glorious and huge. God wants the credit. Because only when we give God the credit are we in our right place. But I want you to think about this zoom out for just a minute. Because think of how God has set this up. God has set up to give us the picture of David, who, who, who's God's man for the time, but all he was doing was pointing forward. He was the giant neon sign with a big arrow saying, God's got another man coming. And God is once again going to go to the little podunk of Bethlehem, to the least of the families, and pick a mom who everybody thinks is loose because she's pregnant out of wedlock. And she's going to have to run with her husband to Egypt and be the immigrants nobody wants. You see, God's plan is all about God's man. 
who's going to be big enough and strong enough for all of us. God's plan is all about God's man, Jesus Christ. And David's that perfect picture. But not only that, God's plan doesn't go with what we think. That scripture is so powerful. God does not look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. Uh, Let me just run through some applications of this. Think through this. Some of you are trying to attract a spouse, students, college students is who I'm talking to. Like, wake up. You, that's, that's who I'm talking to. Some of you are trying to attract a spouse in a really dumb, ungodly way. I love you, but your actions are foolhardy. Run out onto the spiritual battlefield, actually wearing clothes, okay, like real clothes that cover things. Run out onto that spiritual battlefield, and if some guy can keep up, that's a guy worth looking at. Maybe some of the rest of you were discouraged. When, when I read this text, I thought, oh, woe is me, because I ain't that guy. I'm not the guy who can say, I've got a heart after God so many times. But let me encourage you, brothers and sisters who are thinking that. Well, struck out on the looks and struck out on the heart thing. Let me encourage you. David was a mess. Adulterer, murderer, liar. But what made David different? What made David a man after his own heart was not how good he was. It's how good he knew God was because David was a good repenter. Remember the psalm that that uh, Angela read just a few minutes before the sermon? Who's the king of glory? By the way, who's writing that? The king. He doesn't say, me! No, he says, the Lord. Strong and mighty. He is the king. You see, David got who was in charge. And so for those of you who feel like the David, but not as good as him, let me give you the word. It's not about you being good enough. It's about Christ who was already good enough for you. And so if you're sitting here this morning, I have good news for you. God's not done with you. He's after you and your heart. So let's choose to be like David and be good repenters. Let's choose that. Another thing from this. When it comes to God's plan, and really all of life, but this is about God's plan, character counts. Don't miss this. It's not that we have to be good to get God to please, to please God or anything like that. He was already good for us. We already hit that. But character counts. When we're choosing leaders in our church, we don't always choose the best singer, the best teacher, the best whatever. We want to see someone who's got a heart for God. Let me tell you, if you're in your job, whether your boss recognizes it or not, your character counts because your real boss cares more about that than your daily productivity sheet and your sales numbers character counts look at what god saw another thing it's god's choice 
Sometimes we really put ourselves in the middle of everything, and we just think we're awfully special. Look at that. God said, I want David. He said, go here, do this, and oh, oh wait, nope, not that one. No, 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 no. Yeah, where's the other one? Ah, here, that one. And you know what Ephesians 1 says? Before the foundation of the world, God chose us and chose to make us holy. Not because we're special, not because we're anybody. I mean, we're the dudes out at the cheap pasture. All right. As a matter of fact, Jesus compares us to something even less admirable than the shepherd. Right. He compares us to the sheep. But the Bible says in that status, God has chosen us. So be encouraged, Christian brother and sister. And if you are not a believer, let me tell you, God loves you and and is wooing and drawing your heart and pulling it close. He's not waiting for you to be shiny and pretty and the tallest and the bestest and the whateverest. He's coming after you. God's a big sovereign God who makes good, big sovereign choices. Finally, God's plan brings hope to a depressed, oppressed and chaotic time. The king was crazy. The priest and judge was depressed. Everybody's scared that Samuel's going to hack him to death. Everybody's scared that Saul's going to hack him to death. Everybody's scared that Saul's not going to go to war. Everybody's scared that Saul's going to go to war. I don't know that I've ever experienced anything quite like that, but it kind of sounds like we might be able to make a huge jump into our times, right? God's plan brings hope. Because we're not after the circumstances. We know God's plan is centered around God's man, Christ. All right, God's plan. Number two, God's providence. Look back at me with, uh, look back with me at verse 13. So here's what happens. We've picked out David. We know it's David. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the middle of his brothers. In other words, he coronated him. That's, that's what this is. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel went up to Ramah. Verse 14, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Okay, first, y'all catch the, the contrast, right? The Spirit leaves Saul, the Spirit comes to David. It's poured out. I mean, do you see that? It, it's, it's rushed upon David. But this is a weird phrase here. A harmful spirit from, from the Lord, we get harmful spirit, from the Lord tormented Saul. This, this doesn't feel right. But, but I want us to think about a couple things and, and calm down the radar here. We don't, this isn't panic attack here yet. We don't know all the ins and out of this. We don't have a lot of details. We just know that this some spirit of a type comes. But there are some things we do know. First, it was the active judgment of God. God was judging Saul who had repeatedly rejected God's grace. It was publicly known that Saul was under judgment because Saul chose it. God does judge sin. And Saul wanted to be done with God. God gifted him what he wanted. He wanted misery and God let him have it. But two, and I think this kind of clears things up a little bit, spirit in the Old Testament means a spiritual beating, like an angel, a demon, something like that. But it's also the Old Testament word for an emotional condition. Um, 
Remember David's Psalms, renew within me a clean heart and a right spirit? It's, it's where your heart's at. Again, this passage is all about the heart. And this passage probably means that God caused Saul to kind of be out of control in his own head and his own emotions and his own heart. He, he probably had something we'd be fairly familiar with. But the third thing, and I, I really, let me grab everybody for just a minute, because this is really important. While I do think Saul is just kind of out of control in his own head, and that is from God, this does not mean, so catch that, it does not mean that every instance of mental illness is a judgment from God. Um, God is certainly sovereign over all, and we rarely see him sending specific judgments on a person. But we see a lot of folks in the Bible who have just the opposite. David, who we've been talking about this whole time, a lot of them have what we would call depression or other mental illness. We have the writings of hundreds of godly saints like Spurgeon, Luther, Adoniram Judson, describe melancholy, darkness, the desert of the soul is one of their words. We call things like that depression, maybe bipolarism. So please do not think of mental illness as a judgment. Just, there's no blanket to be put on here. It's not a specific act of God and, and is not a curse. The vast majority of our time, our illnesses, physical and emotional and mental, are, they're simply products of our fallen world. So we need to take the proper medical and counsel to get things solved. We need to be careful. Please don't bear your problems alone that, that you were never intended to bear alone. They're not solved outside of the spiritual realm. In other words, spiritual things are a big part of this, but they're not simply a spiritual problem most of the time. So if you're suffering this way, please lean into God. Lean hard into God. Don't dismiss the spiritual side of things, but don't think that if you've got a hang now, God has cursed you. And that it's wrong to put a band-aid on it. Use your good sense. Use the grace God has given us in physicians, counselors, the body of Christ. Lean in. Lean in. So please, just hear that. Time out. Back to your regularly scheduled sermon. Verse 15. Saul says to his servants, Behold now, a harmful spirit of God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre, it would have been very similar to a guitar, um, more harp-like, but, but they could finger it, apparently. And when the harmful spirit of God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. By the way, note, all they're doing is trying to deal with the symptoms. They don't say, Saul, repent! Wake up, dude! Not good counsel. Not good counsel at all. Bad advice, but God even works this for good. Verse 17. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold... I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who's skillful in playing. He's a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord's with him. Random folks is not a word God uses. He was completely ignorant of what he was saying, but he was accomplishing God's plan. We don't even know this dude's name. He's just a random servant. I heard some guy, he, he, he can pick out the liar pretty good. 
He was unwittingly accomplishing the will of the sovereign God. And he put the rightful king in the throne room. Don't miss the significance of this. Verse 19. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son who's with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and, the young, and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his servants and Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. Catch the irony here. God's choice is now Saul's choice. Don't miss this. God's, God's got to be laughing when he's setting all this. I mean, you know, there's, there's a chuckle before the foundation. <laughs> this one's good. I mean, this is, it's just playing out exactly as God, and it's so great in 2020 hindsight to see this. What do you think David's thinking? I'm king. They want me to go play music for the crazy king. I mean, he's got to be in the middle of this terrified. And God's working the whole time. That's verse, verse 23. Whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre, he played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and it was well and the harmful spirit departed from him. By the way, just a note, the songs we pick in here are not random songs. We work really hard at this. We plan quite literally months out in advance. Get good songs on your playlist. Not, not just the Christian radio. For, and some of those songs are great and all that. I play it usually taking my kids to school. But get good songs on your playlist. Take your bulletin. Write all those down. Because every one of those has been screened by the pastor elders. Use those. When life stinks, hit the playlist. You might be amazed at what God does through simple stuff. Anyway, all right, so point two, God's providence. Here's some things to think about just as we look at this. God reveals his will when he anoints David. God spoke to Samuel. Now, Samuel was a prophet. He didn't have the old, I mean, the books are named first and second Samuel. We know that, you know, Bible's in progress here. But God spoke. And let me tell you, God continues to speak every single day. And 99% of the time, it's through His Word. So one, don't worry about the weird... If you have this vision and think, mm, I wonder if that's God or bad pizza, go with the bad pizza, because it's probably not God. You never know, but it's probably bad pizza. Open up the Bible. If you want God's providence and, and His equipment, His providing for you, know His will by opening up God's Word. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says it this way, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And it adds that you abstain from sexual immorality. Think how important that is if God threw that in there. Uh, Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your... Boy, that sounded weird. Let me try that again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing... In other words, you're testing. He's, he's testing you. He's changing you. You may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. How do you know? How do you discern? By the renewing of your mind. 
A.K.A. reading the Bible and the Spirit working. So God reveals His will. It's the providence and good grace of God. But second, in His providence, God gives His Spirit generously. To David, it says His Spirit outflowed and poured into David and didn't leave him. We're in a different day on this side of the cross and we have the blessing of knowing God's Spirit comes when we trust Him and will never leave us. But this is the, prov- the providing of God. This is the providence of God. Is His Holy Spirit for you. You need God. I love the old hymn, I need Thee every hour, most gracious Lord. There's another one. If ever I need Thee. Oh, Savior, it's now. We need God's provision And the center of that is His will revealed in the Scripture and His Spirit. But let me encourage you in something else. God's providence. God works in things that are not revealed to. You know, the gentleman who led me to the Lord, who actually prayed with me, my parents were heavily involved, but the pastor who prayed with me did not train to be a pastor. He trained to be an international missionary. He served in Zimbabwe. And he came to the United States because his daughter had cancer. And in New Me- Albuquerque, New Mexico, that's a little bit of a distance from Zimbabwe, almost as hot, but a little distance from Zimbabwe, he prayed with an eight-year-old kid to trust Christ. And the reason we prayed was because he looked me straight in the eye and he said, yeah, I think you know a lot about Jesus, but I don't think you know Jesus. That was the message I hadn't heard. He sent somebody from Zimbabwe to tell me. Most of you know I'm married to Reluca. She's over in the kids' area this morning. She's Romanian. I don't know if you've noticed her accent. She's Romanian. And so how did... Like the boring guy in college. Like I was, I was the conserv- Mr. Conservative. I always have been. You know, I'm, I'm just not that exciting. End up marrying a gorgeous girl from Romania. It's because I met her in a hospital in Texas. By the way, I hate Texas. I, Lord, the Lord sent me there for school, and, and it was his trials. I, that's all I know to say. But I was serving at a church that had a house like ours, Joe doesn't live there, by the way, just in case you're wondering. That's not his house. That's our office. But we, ha- we left it as a house, and missionaries could come get it. A missionary from Romania, their two-year-old daughter got neuroblastoma. I tear up even thinking about it. Praise the Lord, she's a sophomore in high school today. They checked this little two-year-old in school. They had a five-year-old who was starting kindergarten, and two weeks after they checked the little girl in the hospital, they had a baby. Their hands were full. My wife had been discipled by this missionary couple and eventually was his secretary. Well, suddenly when they came back, she lost her job. He wasn't there. The university for which they worked was restructuring. They gave her a leave of absence and she came to be an unpaid nanny to raise this little girl named Karas. means Grace. And on a Monday night, 
this missionary was at the church in tears. Couldn't even speak. And he said, I think we're going to lose her. It's been bad for two days. He left. We, we did church visitation on Monday nights at that church. And so I went out. The pastor went out. The lead pastor of the church went out. Came back. I was the single guy. I had no plans that night. Um, the pastor said, hey, would you drive to Fort Worth from Dallas? see what's going on because I can't get him to answer the phone and I'm afraid the worst has happened. Call me as soon as you know, but my kids have an early morning. I really need to get home. Hopped the car, drove to Fort Worth. Lo and behold, praise the Lord, the, the, the little girl had taken a turn for the better. And the reason the missionary didn't answer his phone is because he was out cold asleep. He'd been up 36 hours straight, he and his wife, staying up with this little girl. And they had left the woman that's now my wife in the ICU to watch that little girl for the night. You have no idea what God's doing. I have no idea. You have no idea why your lawnmower blew up this week. God does. He's got it. I'm not saying all these things are good, cancer with the deepest part of my soul. But God even used that. God even used that. Last thing about God's providence. God is not only shaping history. He's not just getting you there. He's not only shaping history. He's shaping people. But the way He does that is a spiritual forge. Um fall in love with this really stupid show. Totally, it's all very fake, but it's forged in fire. And they, they get two, four doofuses who, who they dupe into trying to make a knife in like two hours with a four, and they give them weird like, take this car and make a knife. I mean, that, that's the show. But they beat the snot out of this metal. And most of the time, out comes these gorgeous knives or swords or whatever it is they're making that day. That's God's plan for you. This is the will of the Lord. Remember back to Thessalonians? Your sanctification. God is shaping you if you are a believer to look more like Christ. And if you're not a believer yet, He is pulling on your heartstrings to Him. He's pulling you to Jesus. He's begging of you to have your faith in Him and repent and turn to Him and start to follow Him because He loves you and wants to give you His grace. But if you are a believer, God's got some sheep fields for you. That's who made David. Not being in the court. Being with the sheep. You know how he knew he could swing a rock around in a sling and pop big boy in the head? Because he'd done it a million times. You know how he could truly sing a song that brought spiritual comfort to Saul? Because he'd sung them a million times. You know why God used him to write most of the book of Psalms? Because David knew how to worship. Not from standing up here, although these folks, the reason we pick them is because they do know how to worship. But, but not by standing up in front of people, but by hanging out with the sheep. You know what else God used? 
David was king, anointed king, crowned king, and he goes and serves Saul, the king. Can you imagine what goes around? Well, I thought, hell, hold on. This went for like 20 to 30 years. We don't know exactly how long. It was a long, it's measured in decades. And you know what Saul eventually thinks of David? He wants him as a mount. Like, literally, he tries to shove a spear through him into the wall and hang him on the wall. Twice. David runs and lives in caves for years. That's how God shaped David. That's how God makes a man out of after his own heart. So let me tell you this. Brother, sister, I don't know what you're going through for some of you. Some of you I do. Don't bail out. Don't fly the coop. Don't commit spiritual suicide. Hold the course. God will bring you through it. And I don't know what through it means. I don't know what through it looks like. In the words of a a famous Presbyterian pastor, God will bring you all the way home. He'll do it. So don't bail out. Stay in the course. Fight the good fight. And just remember how many crooked sticks God has used throughout all history. David's discipler was named Saul. Saul just didn't know he was doing any discipling. That's how God shaped him. Through the rough misery. So as we close it up for the day, I want you to think. God has a plan. And God's going to accomplish that plan by His providence. His providing and His working in history. But that plan centers, the very first thing I said, God's plan centers on God's man. And today, we look back. It's kind of nice. A little more comfortable than where they stood for so many centuries. Looking forward to knowing God was going to do something for them. And now we can look, and and as we come to this time of the Lord's Supper, we can literally hold in our hands the picture of God's man. See, God's man wasn't this glorious, tall, good-looking, you know, TV salesman. He wasn't the great politician that was going to save the country. He was a humble dude from Bethlehem, a carpenter who knew how to work and knew how to sweat, but most importantly, he knew how to bleed. He lived the perfect life for me and you. He did what we couldn't because he was a man after God's own heart. And when God looked at him, he saw not the outward appearance, which we're told he was nothing special, outwardly but he saw the heart and God the father looked at God the son and said this is my heart and this is my righteousness and then he took my sins and yours and he laid it upon God's man and God's man did what we couldn't do he climbed up on a tree and died for our sins
He rose again three days later. So the, so the plea is, consider God's plan, but also His providence, His, His providing for that plan. It's all about Jesus. It's God's man. So now our usher, or excuse me, our deacons are going to come forward. And we're going to pray. But you literally have the opportunity to hold this picture of God's plan. A, a cup and bread. The bread representing Jesus' body and the, the cup representing Jesus' blood. And we hold in our hands the plan and the provision of God. And so we're going to take that and remember what God has done. The plan, the provision. We now receive. Brothers and sisters, that's comfort. That's peace that we don't have outside of Jesus. So pray with me now. Our Father, we come... We see David and we, we think back to the, the stories many of us heard when we were little kids of a slingshot-wielding hero. But Lord, we don't get and we forget that, that man was crafted and shaped by You out in the forge and out in the field. And Lord, right now, some of us are in the forge and it hurts. And some of us are in the field and we feel insignificant. And there's some of us that are having a really good day. But I pray that no matter where we are, God, that you would take us to the cross, that we would realize our good day is nowhere near good enough. And the darkness can't hold out your light. Because Jesus, you have come and lived that perfect light for us and died that saving death for us. And that Jesus, you are now alive. So Lord, we come and we take the cup and we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your body given for us. Thank you. May we remember you well. In Jesus' name, amen.